Genesis chapter 39 for our text. I'm going to read you the whole chapter, let you hear the whole story in context, and we're going to go back and look at it today. Genesis 39. First book in the Bible, getting closer to the end. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And over all that he owned, he put in his charge. And it came about that from that time, or from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, and in the house and in the the field. Verse 6, So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. This guy's kicking back while Joseph's doing all the work. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about that about after these events, these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, that he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Well, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work. And none of the men of the household was there inside. So she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave who you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Now, I need you to understand something. The more excited I get when I teach, the louder the birds get. There is a competition going on here. And we've noticed, and you'll see this, if I get really quiet, they tend to settle down. 
But if I talk really loud, oh, they go off. So I'm going to ask you to listen to me and not the birds. Well, we're back to the life of Joseph. Here he is, this amazing, this incredible man, this remarkable young man. And we're going to spend the rest of the summer with Joseph. We've already seen that he's an intelligent man and an intentional man. That he's an innocent man and an influential man. But for all of these qualities, he still goes through it. He still. We're all just watching. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Okay, if they drop something, just let me know. Okay, back to Joseph. Think about Joseph. Focus on him. You know, birds in the Bible, by the way, are often a symbol of evil. So, you know what's going on right now. When you look at Joseph's life, something strikes me, and that's that here's this guy who is good in what he does. He follows the Lord. He trusts the Lord. He gives himself to the Lord constantly, and nothing but bad seems to happen to Joseph. He's serving his father. And you're still watching the birds. I see all your eyes going up and down and up and down. <laughs> Do we need to move outside? <laughs> Joseph is just serving his dad, trusting his father. When all of a sudden his brothers grab him and they rip his coat off him. And there's a huge problem. He's sold into slavery. Now Joseph goes into slavery, but God blesses him. Everything goes great for Joseph. Until Potiphar's wife grabs his coat off of him. And now twice we see the coat involved. Different coat. And now Potiphar's wife wants him in slavery. So he's enslaved again. He's in prison. And this seems to be what's happening to Joseph. But you need to understand something. And this is a critical thing to know for all of us as believers. Everyone that God uses, He will purify. Anyone that God wants to use or desires to use greatly, He will prepare. And preparation and purification usually come as a result of persecution. One of the most difficult things to understand in following Jesus is that if you want to be like Jesus, it's going to take some heartache. It's going to take some pain. It's going to take some struggle. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, All who desire to live, live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. Not a handful. Not Christian leaders who desire to live like Jesus or to be godly like Jesus. Not a few. Anybody who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can bank on it. Many of you already have. And if you haven't, you will. What's amazing though is as you're following the Father, as you're putting your trust in Him, even the hard stuff, the persecution, it, it doesn't get you. You recognize and should recognize that God is at work. You see, there's one thing I believe God wants us to learn in this life. A reason that we're here. A bottom line focus of the Father for having us here and taking us through trials and taking us through struggles. And that is that God wants us to learn how to be servants. How to be servants. Now the Bible is a many-faceted book. It's an historical account, account for the student of history. It's a revelation for the seeker of the Lord. It's a love letter for sons and daughters of the Father. But for all of these things, the Bible is also a training manual for anybody who would be servant to the King. And if you are following God, if you have interest in Jesus, then you need to understand it requires that we become servants. 
frankly, if you're not into serving, the Lord may not be in to you. Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus is speaking and he says, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That's how the world does it. The rulers of the Gentiles, they, they want power, strength, so they lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, Jesus says. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wants to be great, the path to greatness is the downward spiral of servanthood. Jesus says, whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now there are those in the world who would say, I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Through this, folks, nobody's going to reign in hell. We see all the cartoons with Satan at the door checking off names as people come in. Guess what? Satan's not going to reign in hell. The only thing reigning in hell is fire. No individual, no spirit, no soul in hell will reign. I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. That's just stupid. That's just amazing that someone would even say that kind of thing. Folks, we are here to learn to serve. And it is the greatest challenge, I believe, of the human life. Because we don't want to. Because the selfish nature, our desire, say, No, I want to be served. I want it my way. I want my rights. My freedom. After all, isn't that what our forefathers fought for? My rights. Jesus says, Not if you're following me. To follow me, you must be a servant. And as we look at Joseph's life, aside from Jesus in the Bible, I'm not sure there's a better example of what it means to be a servant of the king than when you look at Joseph. So let's look at his story. I'm going to give you a handful of things that we can learn about servanthood from Joseph this morning out of Genesis 39. And the first one, if you take notes, the first one is a servant of the Lord prospers in the Lord. A servant of the Lord prospers in the Lord. First three verses again. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. A servant of the Lord prospers in the Lord. Now understand something. There's a great heretical teaching today that says contentment comes from great gain. Even in Christianity, it's called the prosperity gospel, and it teaches that the more prosperous you are, the more God loves you, the more God blesses you. And it's actually a philosophy that goes back ages. Job's friends in the book of Job looked at Job and said, because everything's falling apart, you must have sinned. You must have done some unrighteous act. Therefore, God is not blessing you because if you were righteous, you'd be blessed. And there's some heresy involved in that, folks. Because the Bible teaches, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain is found in godliness with contentment. Some have said that the happy man is the man who gets what he wants. The truth is, is the happy man is the man who wants what he gets. Whatever that may be. And deep in the heartbeat of the servant is the attitude that says, whatever hand the Lord deals me, whatever he gives me, in whatever my circumstance, I will still be content. 
after the heart of a servant. God prospers Joseph, but you know what's interesting here? Don't miss this. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. Yeah, but he's still a slave. A prosperous man. Great. But he's still a servant in the household of his master. He's not free. He's still a slave. And one thing we never hear from Joseph is complaint. He's not a complainer. He never comes out, he's never frustrated with the jobs that he's given, the work that he has to do in his master's house. He never complains about that, he just serves. Now as a boy of 17, remember, he's already had some great visions and dreams. Remember his background, he came out of his father's house and he was number one son. Even though he was the youngest, his dad favored him above all. He had the coat with the big sleeves, he had the authority, and he was getting the visions from God. Stocks bowing down to him and sun, moon, and stars bowing down. And think again, 17 years old. I'll tell you what, when I was 17 years old, my dreams were huge, massive. I was going to conquer the entire world. That was going to, I mean, my life was just, it was laid out before me. And here comes Joseph having dreams confirming that he was going to be great. That he was going to rule. That he would be awesome in authority. And now he's a slave? Now we have hindsight. We can look back and see what happens in Joseph's life. He didn't. At this time, Genesis 39, he is a slave. A successful slave. A prosperous one. But still a slave. And Joseph seems to understand that he is in the position that God has called him to be in. No matter where you are or where God has placed you, a servant of the Lord prospers in the Lord. And those are the key three words. In the Lord, not in personal circumstance. Servant of the Lord prospers in the Lord. Paul puts it this way. 1 Corinthians 9.19, he said, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 9, he goes on and says, I have become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul is saying, I will do anything, even if it means enslaving myself, if it will save someone else. Now understand, he's saying, I have the freedom to do whatever I want. I'm covered by grace. I have been saved by the Father. I'm a child of the Creator. But I don't revel in that great freedom. I set aside even that great freedom if my slavery will save somebody. And this is the life that we see Joseph living. He doesn't waste time focusing on what is lacking in his life, what he's not getting. He just gives himself to the task at hand. And that's what a servant does. He prospers in the Lord. Verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight. And he became his, became his personal servant and made overseer over all his house. And all that he owned he put in his charge. And it came about from that time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Second thing to note is that a servant of the Lord brings the blessing of the Lord. A servant of the Lord brings the blessing of the Lord. The Egyptian's house here was blessed simply because Joseph was there. It brings to mind a familiar verse, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And I need to ask, is the place where, you're, where you work blessed because you're there? Is your home blessed because of your presence there? 
Are people around you and your relationships and your friendships, are they blessed? I'm not talking financially, materially. I'm not even talking emotionally. Ooh, I think he's a great guy. I'm talking spiritually. Are those around you blessed, touched by the spiritual love of the Father? Because you're there. Joseph is simply doing what a servant does. And he's living out his faith in the Lord. And the Egyptian's house is blessed. It's better for it. I know a young man who spent the last nine months washing cars at Frontier Ford. Every now and then he'll come up here and play drums. His name is Galen. Is Galen here this morning? He's not, huh? Good, so we can talk about him. I am so impressed with Galen. And I'll tell you why. This young man is a servant. And he is a young man. He's 20, 21, 22, somewhere around there. And he is spending his life nine months washing cars at Frontier Ford. I know this because Friday, Cheryl and I were at Frontier Ford. And as we were sitting there haggling, Galen came up. Big smile on his face, just kind of smelly and gross from washing cars. Talked for us a few minutes. He was in a great mood. And then they said, Galen, we need to back there to watch. Okay, I've got to go now. You know, when I was 21 years old washing cars, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm much too good for that. <laughs> nine months. You know what the people at Frontier 4 were saying about him behind his back? That's a sharp young man. He's one to watch. He is so impressive. Yeah, we all really like Galen around here. Is the place where you work blessed because you're there? Because a servant of the Lord is going to naturally bless those around him simply by being God's servant. Gang, we can bring the Lord into any environment by simply surrendering our, surrendering our lives to His training plan, understanding. Galen, by the way, right now, Friday was his last day, and he's going on to work full-time, raising his own funds to work for Youth Dynamics. I would love to get him on staff here someday as a youth pastor. Wouldn't that be awesome? But that's what you're looking for, the heart of a servant. And Galen's like that. Joseph is like that. And here's the key to the heart of this servant. Bring the Lord into your place of service. Now you may look at your life and may think about where you're working or where you're living or who your friends are. And you may think, how can I possibly bring the Lord here? How can I do that? It's very simple. Sir, you serve those around you. You be the first one to up and do something for other people. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So in a like manner, don't go into the world to be served. I don't care what your position or role is. The servant is always, always the respected one. Well, Potiphar could see the blessing and he knew it was because of Joseph. And by the way, let me encourage you with one other thing. You are right where God wants you to be. You're where He wants you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there at all. So serve him there. And he'll let you know when it's time to do something else. When he's ready to make a change, trust me, he'll let you know. He'll make it clear. In the meantime, stick to God's servant training regimen because that's what we're seeing in Joseph. Joseph's in Potiphar's house, and there's a reason. Oh, yeah, because his brother sold him into slavery. No, because God wants Joseph to learn something he's going to need later in life. Joseph is going to become a great ruler, second over all of Egypt. But first, first he has to learn what it means to serve. And as great as his integrity is, this young man still needed to learn a few things. Now, let's read on. I'm going to give you the next two are very powerful keys for dealing with temptation. And they show us how a servant deals with temptation. Now, last week we read Psalm 1-1. 
talking about how a person is led into temptation and how sin is progressive. And, and it was kind of kind of heavy, a little focused on you know the power of sin. Let me give you some strength to combat it here. Verse thirty nine or verse six, second part of the verse. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. You could put it this way. He was just 17, if you know what I mean. And the way he looked was way beyond compare. <laughs> Verse 7, it came about that after these events, that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Now, if you're 17 years old, you might say, gross. <laughs> That's icky. That's sick. My master's wife, this older woman's like, ooh, I don't want that. Truth is, Potiphar's wife was probably a babe, and she was probably quite a bit, quite a bit younger than Potiphar. Chances are that she married him simply for position. Potiphar, in his role in the king's court, was most likely a eunuch, which means she didn't marry him for physical reasons. And in Egypt at the time, I guess a little side note, the women were, were known for being adulterous. I mean, this was huge. They had laws against it, but everybody kind of looked the other way. Kind of like America today, but let's, let's go back here. Lie with me, she said, but he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Then he has put all the owns in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Number three in your notes. A servant of the Lord is aware of the master's presence. He is aware of the master's presence. Joseph was, was keenly aware of his master's presence and not Potiphar's. God's. Because the bottom line reason why Joseph didn't want to commit this sin is because of the Lord, not even because of his own master. And this is a real key to dealing with temptation. The key is simply knowing your boss personally. Knowing who your Lord is. Joseph understands this. You all do realize that your boss at work is not your boss. That the person who has authority over you in the workplace or even in the home is not your boss. God the Father is your boss. And Joseph gets this, his heart is to the Lord. It's not for Potiphar's sake he rejects temptation. It's not for the sake of principle or even morality. It's because of the Lord. Now last week we said it's not just saying no to sin. The power doesn't come from just saying no to sin. That's not how you avoid temptation. It's saying yes to the Father. Yes to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1.18, an awesome verse. Paul says, as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was priest among you by us, was not yes and no, but yes. Yes, in Him. For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. And therefore, also through Him who is our Amen, our yes, Lord, to the glory of God through us. Paul saying it is about saying yes. The more I say yes to the Lord, the greater my strength in temptation. The more power I have to overcome sin and the lure of Satan. Well, how do I do that? How do I say yes to the Lord? It's called living in the awareness of the thereness of God. I like that. Living in the awareness of the thereness of God. Joseph could say, even though I was attacked, sold by my own brothers, enslaved, it doesn't matter. Because I'm constantly aware that God is with me. 
In fact, four times in this chapter alone, we read God was with Joseph. And Joseph knew it. He had an awareness of the bareness of God. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. 2 Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. You've heard it put this way before. God's watching you. God's got His eye on you. You don't get away with anything. God is watching. His eyes are wide open. He sees everything you're doing. Everything. Sees it all. (laughs) We hear that and our human nature kind of recoils a bit and we go, Really? Everything? I mean, even when I'm indoors, he sees? He knows? Absolutely. But I love this. Cheryl and I at home have this little cross-stitch thing that a friend made, made for us, and it's got a little frame. And on it it says, God is watching me. And then it says, some of you have heard me share this, He can't keep His eyes off me. The point is God is watching us because He loves us so much. This is the father who's watching his son on the bicycle, head down the hill going, Oh, don't fall. Please don't fall. Hang in there. You're going to make it. I'm here for you. I'm supporting you. And as long as the son keeps his eyes on the father, I was teaching Hayden to ride his bike the other day. We're having a great time. Out on this big grassy hill, so if he went down, no pain. It was great. But running alongside him, holding the bike, you know, and it was, it was exhausting. Sure and I are trading off. We'd come back up the hill, and she'd take a turn, and we'd be breaking a sweat. And, just, and Hayden's like, let's go again, let's go again. But you remember that? And, and we're riding along, and I'm running along beside him, and then... I take my hands off, and he's still riding. He's still riding. And he's got this grin on his face the size of, you know, like Rhode Island. I mean, it's just huge. He's so excited. And he's going down, and I'm right beside him, and as long as I'm right there, good, good, good. And the second he takes his eyes off, his mom or I, boom, down he goes. We need to keep our eyes on the Father, but understand this. My eyes never left him once. And God is watching us. And a servant of the Lord knows that. Man, God is there. He's with us. It's an awareness of the bareness of God and it doesn't matter what's going on. If Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potty Mouth as I like to call her, if she's trying to lure someone into temptation, hey Joseph, come lie with me. Come on, the bed's soft and I'm smooth and let's have some some fun together. Guess what? Joseph knew the Lord was right there. God was there. Even in the hidden halls, all the rest of the servants of the household were outside. Mrs. Potiphar thought she had Joseph to herself. What she didn't realize is she had Joseph and the Lord. Because Joseph had an awareness of the bareness of God. Look at verse 10. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. That's key. Not only would he not listen to her, he didn't want to be around her. Nowhere near her. He stayed away. He avoided her like the plague. And it goes on and says, verse 11, It happened one day that he went to the house to do his work. None of the men in the household was there inside. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. By the way, why would that make sport of them? Bringing a Hebrew into the house. Unless maybe it had happened before. Unless possibly Mrs. Potiphar had already had an encounter with maybe another Hebrew slave. And she, she's saying he brought this one in to make fun of or to mock us. Anyway, reading on. 
He came into me and to lie with me, and I screamed. Verse 15, when he heard me that I raised my voice, and I, and I screamed, he left his garment beside me, and he fled, and he went outside. This is now, again, the second time Joseph's coat is used to spread lies about him. First time he's got the coat of authority, the big sleeves, and his brothers tear it off and sell him into slavery and use it to lie about him. Second time now, he has a coat, a garment, a garment of authority. He has great authority in his master's house. But you know what? To Joseph, the authority didn't matter. Man, he would rather leave the authority behind and be an integrity, a man of integrity before the Lord. Number four in your notes. And this is also the second key to dealing with temptation. A servant of the Lord flees. Flees temptation. Now you may recall in chapter 38, those of you who studied through it, a similar temptation involving a man named Judah, Joseph's older brother. Larry Richards writes the following. He says, the contrast between Judah and Joseph is powerful. Both were tempted sexually. Judah sought illicit sex while Joseph refused the repeated efforts of his master's wife to seduce him. Joseph reminds us that we can never say our sex drive made us sin. The choice is ours to play the part of Judah or Joseph. And a servant of the Lord flees Temptation. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Paul writes, flee sexual immorality. And in 2 Timothy 2.22, talking to Timothy, a young man in the Lord himself, Paul says, flee youthful lusts. Now I can't help but think while the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write this, that the story of Joseph is coming to mind. Flee, run, get out, flee youthful lusts. Now think about this. If Joseph was so strong in his faith, why did he run away? I mean, we look back and go, oh, it's, it's obvious because sin was there and, and temptation was there, so he ran. Now, wait a minute. This is a strong guy in his faith. Well, why not take a stand for the Lord? Why not stand up and say, all right, look, Mrs. P, we've got to talk about this. Because you keep trying to get me to come in here and do what we shouldn't do. And, and I, you know, let me counsel you a bit on it. Let's spend some time praying about it together. Let's share together because I think the two of us, we can work this out. He runs like mad. Why? Because again, this young man knows his limitations. He knows what temptation is doing in his heart. Joseph is, if I may say, at the peak of his sexual prime, folks. And a beautiful woman is saying, come and get me. How do you say no to that? Sometimes you can't. So you run. You get out of there. You hightail it out of there as fast as you can. Now listen to this, and especially those of you who are teenagers, listen closely. Fleeing is not a last minute decision. It is not what you do when you're in the heat of the battle. When already the temptation is thick around you, that's not the time you decide to flee. Fleeing temptation is a decision you make long before that happens. Joseph is a guy who had made a decision before this that he was not going to be with Potiphar's wife. No way, no how, it was not going to happen. And when the time came that the temptation was at its strongest, he'd already made that decision. So running was something he was able to do. Joseph made that decision long before he had to run. His feet were ready because his heart was set. And the Bible tells us that he wouldn't listen to Mrs. Potiphar, and from this point on he avoided her. Spent time away from her. Now, there's an important question to answer regarding this idea of 
fleeing temptation. When Paul is talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, flee from youthful lusts. Okay, great, flee. But to where? Where am I supposed to run? What am I supposed to do? And Paul goes on and says, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, and listen to me closely, in other words, flee temptation, but you run to a brother or sister in Christ. You take the challenge that you have to somebody else who can bear you up and encourage you and strengthen you. Joseph didn't have it. Joseph had no one to run to. He ran out of the house, leaving his garment, and he still got in trouble for it. He had no one who could encourage, support him. You have people around you to do this. Brothers, sisters in Christ. Let me ask you personally, who do you run to when you're tempted? Where do you go to share your vulnerabilities. Who knows in your life your fatal flaws? Who knows your struggles? Who knows what you have trouble dealing with? Who are you accountable to? James 5.16 Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now let me give you a quick guideline for this. When it comes to accountability, a brother should run to a brother and a sister run to a sister. And husbands run to your wives. And wives run to your husbands. Husbands and wives, it should be your spouse who you are most accountable to. i got to pause on this because, gang, this is tricky water in the Christian world. So much Christian counseling, so much Christian confession, so much Christian prayer and sharing turns into affairs. Because a Christian man who has problems with temptation and struggle goes to a Christian woman and begins to share with her, oh, and she understands, not like my wife, she doesn't get me, but you really understand, let's pray together. And prayer turns to affair. And I'm just encouraging you, I can't, can't make it a hard and fast rule. It's your call, it's your decision in your life. But in my life, my accountability is, number one, to my wife. And secondly, if I need the support of somebody else, it's a Christian man. I will never go to a woman to talk about that which I struggle with. Because you're setting yourself up, gang. It is, it's trouble. Well, Joseph is serving the Lord, please, temptation. What does he get for it? He gets sacked. He gets thrown into prison. And once again, Joseph is at the bottom of the pit. Verse 19. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. Now we don't know that his anger burned against Joseph. We just know his anger burned. It's entirely likely Potiphar knew what his wife was about. And it was happening again, and he was just mad. But he had to deal with the situation, and he wasn't going to kick out his wife, so Joseph goes to prison. Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But he was there, and he was there in the jail. Now you may say, this doesn't seem right. And you're right. You're correct. It doesn't seem right. From this side of Joseph's story, it doesn't seem right. But remember, something bigger than circumstances going on here. God is developing a servant. He is growing a servant. He is preparing and purifying Joseph 
for a greater authority in which more people, many people will be saved. Verse 21 says, The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. And you just can't keep a good man down. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. There he is, even in prison. The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Now again, we see in spite of circumstance that God makes Joseph prosper. But I want to end our study this morning with one thought. There's something hidden in Joseph's servant nature that I believe kept his spirit going forward in troubled times. Unlike Abraham... And Isaac and Jacob, his forefathers. Joseph never once hears the voice of the Lord. Not once. Unlike Abraham, Joseph never has an encounter where he sees the Lord. Abraham had several. You read the whole life story of Joseph and there's not a single time where he speaks and God speaks back to him. And yet Joseph knows something. Gang, listen to me. God gave Joseph something to dream about. He gave Joseph a precious gift. Long before all of these trials and persecutions and challenges happened, God gave Joseph a dream. The stocks will bow down to you. The sun and the moon and the stars. You will be a great ruler. And I believe that these dreams sustained Joseph. When he's in Potiphar's house, sold as a slave, away from family and home and, and out of his country and completely out of his element. He knew God was there. And he knew God had a plan. He had his dreams to hang on to. When he's thrown into prison, and we say, oh no, Joseph, not again. He had the dreams. The picture of the future to cling to. For us, and hear me on this, what you believe about tomorrow directly affects how you live your life today. What you understand about God's coming will will change you today. Whatever you understand about it. Personally, I had no idea what I was missing when I filed along in the ranks of Christians who just figured Jesus would come when He would come and it really wasn't my concern. But my friends, it is my concern. Jesus' coming is your concern. Jesus' coming is the primary concern of any Christian who is living in the world today. His return is our concern. Because without a focus on His return, we're just going to kind of flounder. We're going to be tossed around and we're going to live our lives. We're going to do our best to be servants because God told us to, but we're not going to have any direction. But if you know that you know that you know that Jesus is coming back, and more so, if you expect it, if you look for it, if you're excited about it, it will change you. It will radically alter your life. It, it has made my life a completely different life. Ask Cheryl. She is now living with a fanatic. A crazy man. I can't, I, I can't talk about anything else. I love thinking about and focusing on his coming. And as you all know here, I believe His coming is imminent. And that belief changes us. God said, or John says it purifies us. 1 John chapter 3, He who has this hope in Himself purifies Himself. Let's focus on Jesus' return. And in Matthew 25, a master leaves his servants. Jesus tells this parable. 
But a master leaving his service with different amounts of responsibility until he comes back. And the amounts didn't matter. How they handled the amounts did matter. And those who serve well, the master said this, and listen to these words. Matthew 25, 23, I think we're getting a glimpse of the words of Jesus when he comes. The master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It's that joy that we are headed for. The joy of the master. It's Jesus calling us home. It's that moment when he says, come up here and we go. Live your life to that and I guarantee you, you will learn to be a servant in whatever circumstance you're in. In the pit, in the prison, in the hard place at work, if things aren't going well in family life. Man, live to the coming of Jesus. Live the dream. God has given us a wonderful, fantastic, amazing dream. And it's a dream of Jesus' return. As we dream of our Master's joy, may we continue to grow as servants of our coming King. Servants like Joseph. Let's pray. Father, I love the story of Joseph because it's so real, so dear. To see a man... A human being like myself, taken through some really hard times and some difficult struggles. But God, to watch as Joseph just follows you and trusts you, it's so encouraging to me. Father, I pray that among us you would develop this servant-hearted nature of Joseph. That regardless of where we are, Lord, we know that what we do will prosper in your hands. And the Father, that we would bring that blessing to those around us. Fathers, your servants, help us to flee temptation. To trust and know your strength, saying yes to you. And to be aware of you in our lives today. But God, I guess most of all, I just pray that you will invigorate us and enliven us with the dream of the coming of Jesus. And that each step we take will be a step toward that great and glorious day when you will call us home. And we will go home, Father, to be with you. 